I know we just talked about how bad stereotypes are, but <laughs> in this moment, you are sort of a stereotypical millennial mom because we are hearing just across the board that uh, you know millennial parents are being almost militant in the <laughs> exposure that their kids have to yeah. technology. You're listening to The Lowdown, a podcast recorded at Sigma Kappa National Headquarters by Alex Green and Sarah Goodwin. We'll focus on topics like health, wellness, fraternity and sorority community, higher education, and life skills that women need in all stages of their lives. We'll also feature stories from inspiring, empowering, and ambitious Sigma Kappas. Tune in every other week for a new episode to help drive your personal growth forward. Well, welcome back to the Lowdown Podcast. Today, I am so excited because I am just kind of a generational geek right now. And we have a generational expert. Her name is uh, Kim Lear, and she is the founder and owner of Inlay Insights. Welcome, Kim. Thanks for having me. I really am. I just I just can't get enough about generations. And we heard Kim speak at the Higher Logic Conference, which is a Higher Logic Super Forum. Super Forum, yes. yes. Thank you. And so they that's who our email marketing platform is for. And it was for just their clients. And so Kim spoke to just a group of, um, there were nonprofits, there were B2B, B2C companies about generations. And we're just kind of going to go right into this. I am just so excited. All right. So just to start out, I think it would be good for our listeners to kind of get a feel for the different generations. So Kim, could you tell us a little bit about each generation's qualities, mindsets, a little bit about how they see the world and what they, how they interpret it? Yeah, absolutely. So I study this topic maybe a little bit differently than what some people have, pro- have possibly heard before, where I don't necessarily do anyone born between this date and this date is this. Uh, I think sometimes those generalizations and stereotypes just get in the way instead of actually promoting some kind of understanding. So just to get us grounded in this topic, I think it's an important thing to know that the academic backbone of generational theory, what, what we're really trying to study is our culture. And it's looking at these events and conditions during formative years. So our formative years, they're roughly our teenage years. And it's during this time in brain development where we're coming to terms with the world around us. So what's happening in the world at that time, it has a lasting impact on how we view things like consumption and politics, education, social justice. And so that's really what we're looking at here, the, a snapshot of our culture in time and these shared cultural narratives that we have that help us make sense of the world. So that's kind of the the gist of generational theory. So of course, when we look at the baby boomers, we're looking at things like the bull market of the 1960s. We're looking at things like civil rights and women's rights. We're looking at Vietnam and Watergate landing on the moon. We're, We're getting a sense of that economic background, that technological background, that political background to understand how that that youth culture of the baby boomers impacts who they are today. So as you guys heard at the Higher Logic Conference, um, and just to to save everyone time, I'm not going to do the whole thing about like, (laughs) we'll be here all day. Um, But baby boomers, some of the trends that we see. So again, there's a difference between trends and traits. A trait is saying everyone born between this time and this time is this. A trend is saying these are some of the observable behaviors that we've seen with 
different groups, but of course it's, it's not everyone. Um, but for boomers, we do see more optimism and idealism, uh, especially during the 60s, the early 70s. There was this momentum in the youth culture that change was possible. Um, you know, that there's now such famous footage of protests going on at that time. And protest in itself is a kind of showing of optimism, a feeling that if you show up, that if your voice is heard, that you could potentially make a difference. And so that spirit of optimism and idealism we still see, um, we see a trend of, of uh, very competitive. And you know, going into the 1970s, we started seeing a lot of scarcity. Our economy started constricting. And so um, that optimism, that idealism, that competitive spirit, those are pieces that we see with boomers. With Gen X, big thing that we look at is the emergence of 24-hour media. And this is partly MTV, which I love to joke with Xers that this is when MTV played music videos, which must have been a really amazing time in history. Uh, but this, is, this was really the start of 24-hour news media. This is when Ted Turner put CNN on the air. So Gen Xers, you know, in front of their 12-year-old eyes in their living room, began to see a lot of American institutions start being called into question. And it created a time in our history where people were really questioning in the institution of marriage, uh, politics, corporations. Uh, you know, this was Enron and WorldCom. This was, um, you know, one president saying, I'm not a crook, and another president saying, like, that other stuff and nothing was true. So a lot of skepticism is a trend that we see with Gen X, um, very independent, entrepreneurial. And this is the most entrepreneurial generation. It makes sense. We have, we've got this generation of kids. They didn't really trust the system and they taught themselves how to work outside of it. So still all around America, this entrepreneurial activity that we see a lot of it is not coming from 25-year-olds. It's coming from 45-year-olds who have the capital and, and the network and the entrepreneurial spirit to, to go do it. Uh, <clears throat> millennials, trends that we see, I won't go into all the events and conditions. We'll, it'll just take too long. Um, in search of meaning, empowered, networked, risk-averse. Um, those are just some of the, the big pieces we see with millennials. Again, we can go more into this if you want. Uh, and then Gen Z, we see um, you know, very resourceful, kind of the true do-it-yourself generation. Um, very diverse. We can talk about some of the diversity numbers and how that impacts some of the trends we see with Gen Z. Uh, obviously, being called the digital natives, uh, very the, their their comfort and adaptability around technology is something that really blows millennials away. You know, it's it's a really kind of different comfort level. So broad, broad, broad scope, but those are the four major groups that I study right now and, uh, and some of the trends that we see. I love how you have such like, it's not a positive or negative. I like how it's like, this generation isn't bad. This generation isn't good because that's not what it's about. It's truly about yeah. what makes them them and just the changes over time. And I think that's important for people to hear because as we hear about, you called it Gen Z, correct? But it's also, I've heard, become, uh, been called iGen? Yep. Yeah, Jean Twain, she's a, she's a wonderful researcher. She wrote the book iGen, and, and that's okay. honestly... That I am the, reading, yes. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's <laughs> an interesting <laughs> book. I'm reading it, too. Yeah. The, um, 
I do think that it's important to try to look at this topic of generations in the most values neutral way that you can, because too often the conversation, what we're told is that this new generation is either going to destroy us all or save us all. And obviously none of those things are true. It's just, they, they grew up in a different reality. They have a different shared cultural story. And by just being able to see the world through the eyes of a different generation, I think that adds a lot of value instead of trying to determine what's right or wrong. That's not really our job to determine that. Which I also like that because being a millennial, I often feel like we're the worst generation in history. So it's we're not. Shocking. Why would you feel like that? Every article is just so crazy with these, um, with, with what, I mean, the stereotypes, the generalizations, but also just the opinions. And I, I do, uh, you know, I do the best I can to keep any personal opinions that I have out of it because my personal opinions are not relevant to this conversation it's um it's simply looking at what is yeah yeah but as we talk about generations I think we'd like to talk a little bit more about the workforce and what that's going to look like and how that applies to each generation since um the baby boomers are not retiring as as you know as soon as they thought they were going to so they're still in the workforce but then uh gen z will be coming into the workforce so what generation are hiring managers right now? Who's kind of coming in? What are what shifts are we going to see? Uh, a lot of hiring managers right now are millennials, which I think surprises people because for some reason people think millennials are 12, but millennials are old. We've got 40-year-old millennials. We have millennials with kids and buying homes and all of that. Uh, one of the, the trends that we saw with millennials when they entered the workplace was this, uh, this shift to... Uh, more collaborative workplaces. And this is when we started seeing more cubicles being knocked down and more collaborative spaces being a big trend within the workplace. So in terms of some of the hiring tendencies that we see, um, and this goes across generational lines too. Some of the things that I'm saying are things that any hiring manager of any age would also be interested in, um, which is really good team players. Um, You know, the Nate, the nature of knowledge work uh, oftentimes requires a type of creativity that really flourishes in a more collaborative environment. So um, yeah, that being a, a team player and having some connection to the purpose either of the job or of the company, having a reason why you are drawn to this organization and being able to tell that story is something that uh, typically speaks to hiring managers so that it's not just another job, another interview, but really doing your homework, understanding what the company does, why it does what it does, and why it would be important to you to be a part of a part of their story. The ability to to be a critical thinker. That's been a really big thing just and and actually I hear this a lot with teachers who have high high school students is that because the internet has essentially made things very easy to find. It's really easy to find an answer, but the answer that you find may not necessarily be the right one. And basically anyone can find that. And so a big differentiator is being able to show how you critically think. You know, when 
when you're coming up against an obstacle or you're assigned a project, what is your method of really trying to uncover what is the best way to move forward? Because that best way is oftentimes not the easiest way. And so being able to display that, if you have examples of how you've done that in the past, or if you have uh, any stories about coming up against an obstacle and really doing the digging that it takes to figure out how to overcome it, that that's, something that hiring managers are looking for today. So that would be like one of those questions that say, tell me a time when you had to fight for something you believed or you, you ran into something tough. So that's that type of answer was really... Right. Okay. Right. And, and that's always been a question that's asked that this isn't because of you know, uh, millennial hiring managers. But I do think that in the response, what people are looking for in some ways really has changed because it's easy to be lazy today. That's just across the board. And so hiring managers, they're looking for people to put in more discretionary effort. You know, are you the type of person who will put in the time that it takes to really figure out what is best, not just what is there in front of us? And so, um, you know, if you, you're telling a story or giving an example, and if you don't do that, then... I would encourage you to start doing to start doing that. So, um, you know, when when you're looking for something, instead of just looking at Google, uh, you know, recognizing that that's what every single other person is doing. And so, if you're trying to differentiate yourself, what are other ways that you could find information? What are other ways that you could solve a problem? So, let's talk a little bit more about Gen Z because they're starting to graduate college. They're going to be entering the workforce more and more. What can we expect and how can other generations that are already in the workforce work well with them? Uh, you know, some of the things that we're seeing right now, one that I just talked about in that last question is something that I'm hearing from high school teachers today and from some college professors of just, there's concern about the ability to do some critical thing. And in the workplace today, because some so many progressive companies are doing more flexible work arrangements and um, you know, n- not measuring productivity by how many hours your butt is in the seat. Mm-hmm. One thing that they're a little worried about is if we give our workforce an issue to solve and there's a flexible work arrangement where it's like once you're done with your work, you can go, will they have the patience and the stamina to push past the first Thing that they come up with because it's been proven time and time again from organizational psychologists. Adam Grant has great research on this that the first thing that you come up with is almost never good. <laughs> and so, so it does take this uh, really creative stamina to stick yeah. with it and begin again. And um, so I think in terms of how the workforce can prepare, there might just need to be pretty explicit uh, policies and processes around how we figure out, you know, how, how we solve problems within our organization. And if we do have these flexible work arrangements, it doesn't mean just get to whatever answers quickest, right? There will have to be incentives in place to get to whatever answer is best. So I think that's something that the workplace is working on right now. Um, but and one of the trends is just super resourceful. They that do-it-yourself 
spirit has been so interesting to watch. And one of the reasons for this resourcefulness is because some of the things that that young people today are interested in, they cannot ask authority figures or their parents for help because they have they don't know, right? So if you're interested in 3D printing, you can't be like, hey grandpa, you know, can you kind of give me some insight into 3D printing? And so um just because technology is moving so fast, they've used things like these how-to videos on YouTube and, and a lot of other platforms to really figure out how to do things on their own and teaching themselves different tasks. Uh, and so the workforce is kind of being prepared for a generation who, was, who has grown up figuring things out on their own. What does that mean for training and development? Right? What does that mean for the way that we onboard people if they're accustomed to kind of doing it their own way at their own pace? And so I think we'll see some changes with that. Um, the diversity numbers. I mean, it's by just next year, the majority of kids in America will be a, a minority ethnic group or race. Mm-hmm. And so when we have conversations about unconscious bias, about inclusive work environments, I think for a long time, there were companies who thought that was like a nice to have perk. But with Gen Z coming up, it is an absolute necessity because if companies don't understand how to bring diverse voices forward, if they don't understand in recruitment how to sell their company to people who come from all different backgrounds and different types of messaging might speak to them, then they're just going to fall behind. They're not going to have a valid pipeline of talent. Mm-hmm. So I think those are some of the big things that the workplace will be, will be thinking of now. I feel like there's always a learning curve when another generation uh, graduates and go into the workforce. But you said that Gen Z is very individual and that millennials are very collaborative. Do you think there's going to be a harder transition or that, I mean, I, I, what I have read is that Gen Z is just extremely individual. I just don't know that they are willing to compromise a lot. So is it going to be the millennials having to really understand what this individual type of person needs and what they yeah. want in a workplace? Uh, <clears throat> yes, I think that there might be a, initially a little bit of tension between millennial managers and, and Gen Z who they'll probably be managing. And for a lot of different reasons, when we look at rewards and recognition and incentives, when millennials were entering the workplace, that's when a lot of companies moved to um, team incentives, where basically like if the group meets the goal, then the group gets rewarded. There will probably be a little bit of a a pendulum swing back where it'll be more to individual individual rewards and recognition, uh, more of an emphasis on that independent contributor. And again, I just want to emphasize it. It's not at all about right or wrong. And there's, and there's always the law of unintended consequences where when millennials came into the workplace, there are so many great things about being more collaborative. However, one of these unintended consequences of collaboration was groupthink. And so in organizations, there were these brainstorming sessions and all that. And what ended up happening in some cases is everyone was kind of was influenced by one another to a fault. And there were there wasn't a lot of dissenting voices where if everyone was on board, it was like we're all in on this. Um, where if you encourage a little bit more of that independent voice, that's when you can see where obstacles might come in. That's where you might find uh, a new idea that the group really wouldn't have thought of together. So 
Yeah, the, the pendulum just always swings a little bit and, and history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And I think that that's kind of what we're seeing here. So, um, you know, Gen Xers were also very independent and they're bringing that style into the C-suite now, which is a really interesting thing to, to see. And uh, Gen Zers, I think, will push us back to more of that emphasis on independent contribution, move us away from groupthink that ended up uh, really hurting organizations for a period of time. So in your focus groups that you've been doing with Gen Z, what are you finding most surprising about this new generation? Not new. It's new to me. <laughs> I haven't read a lot about it until now, so I'll call it new. <laughs> uh, you know what? I the How they talk about technology has been somewhat surprising. Um, I was actually in a focus group in Birmingham, Alabama just last week, and there were only 12 young people in the room that's the size of all of my focus groups and two of them voluntarily had dumb phones like they did not have smartphones because they just said that they wasted a ton of time they just aren't the type of people who have the self-discipline to take these apps off their phone to never use them and so they just decided I sort of had to go to extreme lengths because the time I was wasting the way that that Instagram and um, some of these apps were making me feel, I knew it wasn't positive. And so, um, you know, and they're like, well, I'll, I'll use it again because, you know, some of the dating apps and Lyft, like there, there's a lot of things on their phone that they do need. Uh, but for a period of time, they're just using these dumb phones just to try to take a break. And I think we are seeing this tech fatigue, this hunger for human to human contact, um, I think people miss each other. I think that in all generations, but I think definitely with young people as more and more of their life has been um, you know, so ingrained with technology. They're looking for some of that ability to unplug. And there's a lot of summer camps now that have no tech policies. And that's actually something that young people are looking for. They're like, that would be great. And uh, the retreat industry is booming. People of all generations wanting to go to the tech-free retreats. And so it's, it's definitely interesting to see how they're dealing with being so bombarded constantly and they're, um, they're craving to step away. I love that you say that because I feel like millennials, obviously, they, didn't, they mostly grew up with technology. And so these Gen Xers are raising the Gen Z. And I just wondered, like, will millennials be the generation to kind of like just get sick and tired of seeing people just like looking down at their phones while they raise kids, which will be, which are my kids. Like I'm a millennial. I'm now raising kids, which I think is gen alpha is what they're calling it right now. Um, and will I be very conscious of what they are doing? Are they always on their phones? Are they like, you don't yeah. get social media until you are 18. You'll pay for your own phone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. But I have to wonder if that is going to be the shift, at least, you know, partly. It's my hope. That's how I'm going to start doing this. No, and that's, and um, I know we just talked about how bad stereotypes are, but <laughs> in, in this moment, you are sort of a stereotypical millennial mom because we are hearing just across the board that, uh, you know, millennial parents are being almost militant in the <laughs> exposure that their kids have to yeah. technology and the rules that they have for babysitters, the rules that they have for grandparents of making sure that the kids are, they don't see a phone and they're really strictly following the recommendations from the pediatric association saying no screens until two. Uh, and so I, I 
I think millennials understood and definitely are coming to terms with now some of the negative impacts that technology has had on their lives as they were growing up. And I think they just want something different for their kids. And yeah, that's... So we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I've got a 13-month-old and I'm sort of like, I'm just hoping that by the time she's a teenager, all of this is figured out. Like, I just want you know, new yeah. rules for social media, new rules for phones. So we'll see. I'll say I need to be that strict because my two-year-old can definitely like scroll through my phone or like find different apps. Yeah. So there's yeah. a blogger that I follow on Instagram and she just had a baby last year and they'll put on music on the TV in the background or something and like we'll face him away from it so he can't yeah. see it like <laughs> and she's made a comment about it on like her Instagram story or something yeah yeah and it's um you know so, so much of what we do especially in how we parent is the reaction to the world we grew up in or the type of parents that we had and so that's the millennials just like all the generations of parents beforehand are reacting to their reality and yeah. doing doing the best we can with the information we've got. So getting back on track to more of the workforce, what are some of the best practices for a young person to have their voice heard at a big company? Because I know I've heard that millennials or younger generations come in wanting to make all these changes and the older generations are kind of like, hold on, like we don't need to do all that. Younger generations still get their voices heard without scaring off the older generations that have been there for a little bit. I think that this notion of having a voice in the workplace is an interesting thing to observe because the number one word that is still used to describe millennials and a lot of Gen Zers also is this word entitled. And when I ask business leaders, what are the behaviors that are being exhibited that make you feel like they're entitled? A lot of things come back to this idea of having a voice where boomers and Xers, they'll say to me, I worked 10 years, just put my head down, did the work until I ascended into a place where I was able to have a voice. And then we've got young people walking in on day one and they want a seat at the table and they want to have a voice. And so I think, you know, I'm I'm always a proponent of all generations being able to see the world through each other's eyes, not not just boomers being able to understand millennials. it, It all has to go both ways. And so I think for young people, just to have some understanding of what the other generations went through to get to where they are. There were a lot of people where, you know, this idea of paying your dues, this idea of grunt work, this idea of never being heard for a decade, that is not unusual in a lot of big companies. That was, that was kind of the structure. Mm-hmm. And so I think having some empathy, having some understanding for that, um, and, and this, there's nothing generational about this, but humility just goes such a long way. And I think it's easy to come out of college and feel excited because you have all of this new information and you just spent four years learning and you're ready to go put this learning into practice. And so, and, and that energy is so wonderful in the workplace. But if you come in too hot, you know, and... and with, with, without that humility of saying, I know that I learned a lot, but I might not actually know exactly how to, how to do stuff yet, right? And one of the amazing things about college is it teaches you how to learn. And so once you graduate from college, you have this incredible opportunity to learn from these people around you who have been practitioners of knowledge for so many years. And so you seek out mentors, get people on your side in a, 
sometimes a slow and steady way. Build their trust. Let them know that you are, the ideas that you have, you want to have them implemented because you believe they would help everyone, that you believe that they would help the mission of the organization. It's not just about you. So that humility, seeking mentorship, you know, making sure that just even in the way you communicate, you're not being condescending. You know, some of the processes and procedures that you may want to get rid of, that was created by someone. And, and those processes and procedures, that was upheld by a group of people for all of these years. And those people are probably still in the organization. So instead of saying we're just dismantling this entire structure, it can help to say, I want to build on what we've got. You know, I have some ideas on how we can build off of the foundation that was started by by people who worked so hard before me. Mm-hmm. One of the big differences I feel like I see with boomers, maybe even some Gen Z, oh, sorry, some Gen Xers um, and then millennials is that like my dad was a boomer and he stayed at his job from when he graduated yeah. with his doctorate to when, uh, mm-hmm. literally like to when he passed away. So he like had the mm-hmm. same, he was at Eli Lilly for however many years. And this is now my fourth, job out of college, I think. And so, (laughs) you know, I've been out of college for what, like 10 years. So that's like a big difference. So I feel like sometimes, no, I haven't been here for 10 years, but I've had other experiences outside of this place that I want to bring to it. And I have to wonder if that's some of where that's coming from. Mm -hmm. My experience is not just college, but it's somewhere different. And yeah, it's different than here. And that's a big, I feel like shift that I've seen. Yeah. Um, and I think those same principles that would uh, be helpful to to people like you who are new to a company, but not new to the workforce, right? You've been working a long time. You have a lot of valuable experience too. But that idea of, of, of building that coalition, building your champions, because these changes that happen in the workplace, in my experience, are almost never because one person just banged his head against the wall for a year and then everyone surrendered. Like that's not usually how it happens. It happens where you, know, you, you get people who believe in you. They believe in the change that you're trying to make and, and they know that you have the right uh, motivations for that and they support you, you know, in a, this, yeah. that coalition building. Yeah. I know a lot of our people like to see the reasoning behind things. So analytics helps, um, information from courses that we've taken, that kind of stuff is always helpful when we're trying to make change in an area. Absolutely. So what tools do you you recommend people use to be productive while they're at work to just get that done and make their way? Um, So I'm not a productivity expert. So I, I, I can't give specifics on, you know, go do these four things. I can tell you just personally as a, uh, as someone who, who runs her own business and has a family and a kid, you know, and, and all of that. Uh, so one thing that I use, and let me know if you guys have heard of this, but this um, dot journaling, like bullet journaling, have you heard of this? Yeah. So this is something that I started last year. And in the notes for this podcast, for, uh, for the listeners, I'll, I'll put a link just because I, I think it's interesting. It's yeah. been helpful to me. And it's just one notebook. If, if you're kind of old school like me, where you're actually like writing things down, that's always helped me remember. It's helped me with memory retention and actually being able to check things off. But 
that helped a lot. And just in terms of goal setting and managing to-do lists, my journal is also, your, your journal can be part of it. And, um, you know, for my job specifically, reflection is a really important part of it. So after every focus group, after a series of one-on-one interviews, I have to think for hours to be able to really listen to how everyone responded and how people feel and what that means and what are patterns I'm finding, what are discrepancies. And so all of that's in one place. So dot journaling, bullet journaling, I love it. This, I, I like feel bad even saying this and, I, and I'll just, I'll, I'm going to cushion this by saying my husband and I agreed to get this and we're basically never buying each other an anniversary or birthday present ever again, but we did get a Peloton <laughs> and, um, and we got the treadmill cause we both run. And for anyone who is listening to this, who has kind of a crazy job, who might have to travel for work, who has young kids. I mean, it is a game changer for us. It has been awesome just in being able to get some exercise, like get my body moving. That's always been really important for me just for mental clarity and focus. And it's in your house. You have no more excuses. I have no more excuses. (laughs) Uh, And that's that's actually really been helpful as well. And so, um, yeah, with, with bullet journaling and with um, you know, being able to to move and exercise every day and make that as convenient as possible for me, that's really helped even just in the past year of staying focused, of um, of getting done what I need to get done. And I've had to say no to a lot of things, which for the first decade of my career, I never, ever did. But then you say yes to things that you're not right for. You say yes to things you're not interested in. Um, it didn't fit my area of research. And then I was going down this rabbit hole of, of information that, that uh, wasn't right for me and, and probably wasn't right for the client. And so just being able to say no and remaining focused on what I'm trying to do, that's, that's a good productivity thing because you got more time to do the things that matter. Yeah. Like this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes. I love it. It's so fun talking to you guys. So yeah, no, not a problem. So to end off our interviews, we usually like to ask kind of an advice question. And I know that you've been conducting one-on-one interviews with recently retired baby boomers. So what advice have you heard from them as they reflect on their careers? This interview series has been one of the most rewarding of my career. It's lasted two years and I have heard a million different things. Some will not be shocking to you, but one of the biggest, one of the questions I ask uh, for the ones who do have children is what, what advice do you give your kids? Right? Cause that's such a personal thing. And the most common thing that I hear is uh, you work a long time and hopefully if you're lucky you, uh, you know, you like what you do. And so you spend a lot of time there, but do something that matters to you. Do, do some work that you feel like makes an impact. Think early and often about what you want your legacy to be, what change you're trying to create. And I think, I, I, I think about that a lot. Uh, just even in, in my job and when I'm talking to people that this is what parents tell their kids is, Oh, hopefully life is long and a lot of that time is at work. So that's a big thing I hear. Um, another thing that surprised me is one of the questions I ask is what will you miss most about the workplace? And we're told so often that 
that people of different generations don't get along and they don't like each other. But I ask boomers, what are you going to miss? And they're like, I'm really going to miss spending a bunch of time with 25-year-olds. They tell me their crazy dating stories. And um, you know, people, people if, if you do it right, these intergenerational relationships are so meaningful. And you learn so much. And they're so fun. And they can give perspective. And they can make you laugh and cry and all these things. And so um, it's such an it's such an interesting thing to hear how much they'll miss those intergenerational moments because some of them will say to me, you know, I'm, I'm moving to Florida or something and I don't know how often I'm just going to be like having lunch with a whole group of, of, you know, kids in their twenties. And so that, so I guess the piece of advice that I would give for that is the workplace is a very unique environment where you get to be in an intergenerational environment all the time. And too often we sort of go into our own groups of who we're friends with and who we know and who we spend out time outside of work with. But what a gift we're given to be able to be with people from different ages and different backgrounds who have completely different experiences. And I think that leveraging those relationships and really creating meaningful connections with people who are different. Um, it's, it's such a rewarding thing. And that's, and the last thing that I hear quite often is for the baby boomers who have recently retired, who are fortunate enough to be in a really strong partnership. Oftentimes for, for boomers, that was a marriage. Um, they have a very different outlook on aging. And it's been an interesting thing for me to hear, but these boomers who are in these very strong partnerships with people who encourage growth, who are not scared of the future, who um, are excited about what's to come, there is an undeniable optimism that I hear from them. So I think you've got to, you know, finding the right partner and someone who helps you grow matters at all stages in life. But on the precipice of retirement, when you're about to embark on this great unknown in the face of longevity, you might be retired for 25 years if you, if you save correctly. Um, but that core relationship, I hear time and time again how truly important that is in, in how you age. So that would be the advice that I take. That's great. It made me feel so energized about work and... <laughs> I, I don't mind getting older, but that was just uh, some some great mm-hmm. tidbits there. Well, we so appreciate you being on. Like I said, I am so inter- just interested in generations right now. So I loved hearing from you. I hope our listeners did as well. If you want to um, follow Kim or, or find her website, you can get that on our show notes at sigmakappa.org slash podcast. And we will see you again next time. Thanks. Thank you.